0: Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in to The Logo with Logan Schakowsky. Have you ever wondered what it's like to have your own podcast? Well, if you haven't yet heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make one. First of all, it's absolutely free, and the best part, you can record right from your device with no equipment needed. Invite friends to join without meeting face-to-face, and even make money from your podcast with no minimal listenership. There are creation tools that allow you to edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, and Anchor will distribute your podcast so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, so download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm today. Good luck, now let's meet our guest. Alright, hello everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Logo. Um, This is by far probably our biggest episode yet. Um, it is our second episode with somebody who is essentially a complete stranger to me um, as, far, as far as my personal life is concerned. But this is by far our biggest guest yet. We have on the line with us AJ Kirsch. Um, he is the voice actor for 2K1920. Um, he plays Buzz. He is also known as, I believe it is, Brosif Joe Brody in Rock the Promo. And he is also a former contestant on WWE's Tough It Up. So AJ... First things first, man. I want to thank you so much for doing this,
1: dude. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, and thank you for that uh, that awesome introduction. I'm 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 honored and excited to be here. Cool, 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 man. Now, as
0: I mentioned, we don't know a lot about each other. Um, I, I have studied you, like I said, from tough enough to your time with AEW. Stuff like that. So, get us pretty much started. How did your career start? What was that moment for you where you're like, okay, this is something
1: I want to do for the rest of my life? Um, so, I started watching wrestling. So, there wasn't really one definitive moment that I was like, oh, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Um, I'd started watching wrestling in March of 96, which was a really exciting time to start watching wrestling because it was three months before Austin 316 was born. It was one month before um, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash made the jump to WCW, which means it was only four months before the NWO was born. And ECW had also just started making some noise. And so it was so exciting to be a fan just as just being on the cusp of this seismic shift in pro wrestling. What was up until that point and for another year or so geared more mostly toward kids Um, You know, we were on the cusp of the attitude era. And, you know, I do think the NWO and ECW had a huge um, influence on what WWF at the time had to do to kind of adjust with the times. And because wrestling as a whole was evolving, it was and I was like, you know, 12 years old at the time. So I was about to become a teenager and just start discovering who I am and what I'm into and all that stuff. So I like to describe it as a phase I never really grew out of because as I was growing as a human, uh, wrestling was growing with me. So it just it captivated my attention and it has never let go.
0: Oh, yeah, man. I mean, completely. You, you said it yourself. You entered in probably one of the hottest times in pro wrestling. I'm, like you said, the attitude was about to start. Right. Well,
1: it was, it was about to be a hot time. Wrestling was still like yeah. not, you know, it wasn't cool at the time it was still kind of a dirty secret if you're a wrestling fan but you know mark this was march of 96 two years later in march of 98 when steve austin was the coolest thing since sliced bread and dx was telling everybody to suck it and nwo was running wild and it was it was just and i had no idea either i had no idea how good it was about to get
0: right right exactly now you had like you just mentioned your story Um, how did training go? How was your, how did your training come about? Where did you go to school at? Um, Yeah. Stuff like that.
1: So, I mean, everybody, every wrestler that I've ever talked to has said, if you're going to pursue pro wrestling, go to college first, because the odds of you making it in wrestling are slim and none. So, you know, taking that to heart, I busted my ass in school. I took some, uh, AP classes in high school that would translate to college credit I got my four-year degree in three years, taking summer classes, classes over uh, winter break. And I got my my degree in communications because I was not a confident public speaker. I was not comfortable being in front of an audience when everybody's attention was on me. And I was like, well, if I'm going to be in pro wrestling... You need to be good at being in front of people. Um, And so I took like speech communication classes and argumentation and debate classes and even mass media and propaganda classes just to kind of know how to reach a huge number of people based on on a performance. So. And I was going to school at Chico State, which is in Chico, California, about an hour and a half drive north of Sacramento to kind of give some placement for anybody who might be familiar with the area. And as I was earning my degree, I found a local pro wrestling school in Yuba City, which was about an hour away. And so as I was going to college, I was also uh, driving two hours round trip three days a week to Yuba city to train, to be a a pro wrestler. And I trained at pro championship wrestling, uh, which is now based out of Oroville, California. So not far away. And uh, my trainer was Mr. Primetime MPT. uh, Zach Reeb is his real name. A damn good trainer. um, And was, you know, successful up and down the West coast. uh, Did a tour of Japan with Dragon gate. Um, and just, oh, yeah, cool. just got an amazing education in pro wrestling. Broke my ankle six weeks into training, doing something stupid that I wasn't ready to try yet. So I was sidelined for a little while, but kept coming to practice. I kept taking notes, kept studying tape, all that good stuff. And uh, had my debut match in October October 26, 2005, in Chico, where I went to school. Um, some... High school friends of mine that heard me talking about wrestling for years came out to see the match, and my parents came out to see the match. So it was a pretty magical moment.
0: Cool, cool, cool. Yeah,
1: man, and to go back, um, kudos to you first off for
0: taking that leap. You said it yourself. You weren't a person who is good at talking in front of people, and you went out there and you said, okay, you know what? I want to do this, so I'm going to go on. I'm going to do something that I'm not used to. I'm going to become – a communications major and
1: essentially have to talk to people right. and not, just, so, yeah, not yeah. just audiences too. And in my experience since then, I've found that performing in front of a lot of people is actually less nerve wracking than p- performing in front of a select few people because it's more intimate when you're in front of like 10 people or 20 people. Like there's more chance for your mistakes to be more, I guess uh, noticeable. When you're in front of a lot of people, there's just kind of this murmur, this buzz, no pun intended, that just kind of (laughs) um, that just kind of hangs in the air. That makes it a little bit easier to, you know, communicate with your opponent or um, hide something if something doesn't go according to plan. So um, in a lot of these speeches and presentations that I had to give in college, were in front of classes of like 15 or 20 people where they can see. They, it's not they're not just seeing what you're doing or hearing what you're saying they can see your eyes they can pay attention to your body language and so if you can and you know some indie shows out there they draw like double digit numbers and so if you can perform right. um, with enough detail and convincing enough to um, resonate with a double digit audience then chances are you'll be able to do the same thing with a triple quadruple digit audience Interesting
0: that's an interesting point you made I never thought about that how you can almost essentially be it's easier to do it in front of less people than more because there's not as many eyes on Well
1: it. I don't know well no I think it's I think it's harder to do it with um in front of okay. less people but yeah, yeah. I think it's a preference too like I think some people might prefer doing it in front of um you know fewer people and some people might prefer doing it in front of a larger number of people and I think, I mean, my preference is just to do it in front of a larger number of people. But also, I appreciate the challenge of, of really honing in my performance to, I guess, satisfy the access to detail that a smaller audience has.
0: Right, right. Cool. So, um, fast forward a couple years um, to Tough Enough. Now, you had mentioned, I, I did watch your or listen to your podcast oh, yesterday. Thanks. By the way, AJ is the host of Tough Talk. It's a new tell all podcast about his time on WWE Tough Enough. His first episode with Martin Casayas, Kis, I believe that's how Kisau. you pronounce it, is out. Casau, sorry, 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 is out now. Um, please head over to YouTube and watch that. I will also link it in the description. Down Thanks, below, man. and the um, easiest
1: way to uh, access the podcast is just by going to thetoughtalkpod.com. Um, and it's available on almost everywhere you get your podcasts the major ones, Apple, Spotify, Google, um, Stitcher, Deezer. I mean, now we're getting to like the smaller ones, but um, it's going to be on TuneIn within the next 24 hours. I mean, you and I are recording this on. Um, three o'clock Pacific time on on Tuesday. So by the time this airs, it'll probably be on tune in. Um and then there are a couple, I think Pandora is still pending and I think iHeartRadio is still pending. But Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, it's all, it's live right now. And uh you can pick it up on your provider of preference by going to theToughTalkPod.com.
0: There you go. You heard it yourself. Nice plug there from AJ. Thank you for setting me up, by the way, for that
1: plug. You you set the table beautifully for that.
0: (laughs) No problem, man. So in this first episode, you mentioned a little bit about the casting process. Now, I know there's not a lot you can talk about here. Um, Essentially, what's going through your mind as you're finding out the news? Oh, I'm going to be on a reality show with one of your idols. You said Stone Cold Steve Austin
1: who you watched growing up as a kid. What was going through your mind? If you're a pro wrestling fan and you're not a Steve Austin fan, then something's wrong with you. Like whether it's between cutting promos, between his believability in the ring, just the way he hits the ropes is special. And Steve Austin, I mean, is this, I mean, when Vince McMahon calls you the greatest WWE superstar of all time, that's, that's all you really need to know. That's all you need to know. Um, and so, yeah, it's just this, it never seemed real. And to this day, when I, when I talk about it, because there were some moments like on the show, or there were some moments that at the house rather that didn't make it to the show. Um, one of which is, uh, I'll give everybody a little peek behind the curtain into what awaits, uh, on the podcast, but something that, um, that we did that I don't even know if there were any cameras there. There had to have been, but I don't remember seeing them. It's pretty easy by the way for those cameras to just disappear at a certain point it's weird um but we were sitting in this giant banquet dining room this long table um with let's see there were 13 of us so it's like seven of us on one side six of us on the other side and there were 13 because uh Ariane had already been eliminated which is funny because she's she had a great deal of success in wwe after tough enough she is going to be a guest by the way on the podcast i figured i'd Throw that out throw that out there right now. Ariane is confirmed. Bill DeMott, one of the trainers, is confirmed. Uh one of the other three trainers is also confirmed, but you're gonna have to stay tuned to see who it is. Um oh and Luke Robinson, who was one of the final two, uh, and ended up losing tough enough. Uh I already got an interview with him in the can, which you are going to have to hear to believe. Whatever you think about Luke, it's probably wrong. Um, anyway, big long banquet hall. Uh, 13 of us were there on one end of the table is stone cold Steve Austin. And at the other end of the table is John Cena, who was the first guest on the show. Oh boy. And at one point, Cena's like trying to tease a challenge to Steve for a match. Like they're just like kind of throwing playful jabs at each other. And I'm somewhere in the middle on uh, in this table. And I'm just kind of like, looking at one side and there's Steve Austin and looking at the other side and there's John Cena (laughs) and my head just goes back and forth a couple times and I'm like, this is real life right now. This is happening. I like, I I can't believe I'm here. I can't, I can't believe it. And even now talking about it, it still feels like an eight week dream. It seems like I, I like to say that I, as a fan, I won the life lottery to be able to train with Steve Austin, Booker T, Trish Stratus, Bill DeMott, to be able to pick the brains of brett hart and ray mysterio and the big show uh to be able to you know go on a date with the bellas and kelly kelly and and like it was it was crazy it was absolutely nuts and to this day i'm supremely grateful to, for the entire experience and just in the limited interviews that i've done so far with tough talk getting to know the other contestants as human beings and getting to know what their story is and who they are has been a joy because up to this point, all they have been to me were competition on a reality show or, you know, somebody that I saw at a couple independent shows or somebody that I did an NXT tryout with or, you know, very limited. And like, we all ended up on tough enough because we love pro wrestling. Like that's the one thing we all had in common. And, to be able to hear about why and what it meant to them. And like the next episode coming out is with one of the contestants, uh, Michael Zaki. And as you'll hear in the episode, pro wrestling, he was born in France, which I didn't know. He moved to uh, New Hmm. Jersey when he was a little kid and pro wrestling was his introduction to American culture. And like, vernacular and it's how he even used a double ax handle to win a real fight when he was getting picked on it's an it's an amazing listen and i'm not just saying that's like you're gonna hear me laughing my ass off we had a great time catching up so all this to say what was going through my head on tough enough most of the time it was i can't effing believe this is real right now
0: cool 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 and i like i said like that what a star-studded group there. I mean, Booker T, you had Stone Cold, Trish Stratus, guys like Cena, Mysterio, Big Show coming in. I mean, wow. Like You probably, in my opinion, and I'm not just saying this because you're here, that
1: was probably the greatest season of Tough Enough I've seen. I've right. watched every well, single season. Well, that's one of the reasons why I thought that the was podcast the would be a good idea is because people, when they talk about Tough Enough, this is the season that people still talk about. And that's not to say there weren't memorable moments or ultra talented performers to come out of those other seasons. But I mean, again, you're you're really, it's a Testament to the star power of stone cold, Steve Austin, and that's nothing against Jericho or Hogan or, you know, whoever was involved with the season after um, season five, but like it's, it's hard to compete. It it really, it's, it's hard to compete against that cast of trainers, the um, cast of characters that were the competition and the guest stars that came in—it was a who's who of multiple eras of pro wrestling.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, you had guys like Ryan Howe, who was a who was a me- contestant on that episode, who went to Impact. You had, like you mentioned, um, I think Eric Watts is now in NWA.
1: Ariane was awesome in WWE as right? a member of the Macadamples. Matt- like that's Matt a- Cross went on to be uh, Son of Havoc and Lucha yep. Underground. Son of Havoc. Um, Let's see, who else? I feel like I'm blanking on somebody. Um, oh yeah, Eva Leese. Eva went to Lucha Underground. She's popping Ivalice, up on yep. AEW all the time. Like, yeah, it there there were a lot of good, a lot of a lot of talent on that show.
0: A lot of talent. Yep. Now you mentioned earlier about moments. One of the moments that sticks out to me in that show was it was the week The Rock was on. And it was, the challenge was cutting a promo against Bill DeMott. Now you and Bill on, on camera. I don't know what you were like off camera. Um, I'm sure well, you had a good me, relationship me, off camera, we get but to on question,
1: camera, um, I, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but, but I... there was no off camera relationship between the contestants and the trainers. If there, if we were oh, that's a... interacting at all, cameras were honest, like, cause that's, they, you know, the the production team didn't want to miss anything so like if somebody came to the barn because we trained in what was uh, like this horse stable this kind of barn this equestrian stable um, if somebody showed up like to train at night there was a camera through there if somebody you know short of like getting out of bed in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom like they, the cameras were on us pretty much all the time, um, so there was no off-camera relationship with any of the trainers um, because they wanted they they wanted okay. those to capture those moments. So,
0: so so if you had a question, I'll, I'll get to my other question in a little bit. So, say you were studying something for that week, like say you were talking about I don't know drop downs, whatever it may be, and you had a question for one of the pros and you wanted extra help. That was all yeah, always well, on I mean camera. it would have been,
1: um like because like, we we wouldn't see the trainers outside of the training facility or if we were like, okay, you know, doing one of the field trips or something, like it was it was always a competitive environment when we saw the trainers. They weren't like hanging around the house. They weren't available to ask questions. In fact, okay. they stayed. On the property, but they stayed in these separate like guest houses that were completely separate from the house that the contestants stayed in. So it's not like they were accessible or ready readily available at the drop of a hat. Um, They had a gym. They built a gym in this house, but they would tell us that we couldn't use it from this time to this time because that's when the trainers were using it. So. They were very careful about keeping us separated when they wanted to, and they were very careful about shooting us when we were around each other.
0: Okay, okay. So to get to my question, um, for much of the season, you were given a nickname by Bill Uh, DeMoss. Steve Steve gave me the nickname. Uh, That's right. Yep, Steve did give you the nickname.
1: But um,
0: throughout the, the season, you were kind of quietly, like, becoming one of the top people there, but the moment that I think... Oh, I agree. The best 100%. Promo. Uh, yeah, yeah. And what's, like like you said, with The Rock, what's going through your mind, perhaps, in my opinion, one of the best, if not the best, The Rock is there judging your promo. Like, are you thinking to yourself, okay, I have The Rock in front of me, and I have two minutes in the ring with Bill DeMond. I have
1: to make... Um. Make well, so... We didn't realize that The Rock was going to be there until he showed up, until he walked through the door. Um, okay. We were told that. Um, so, this was like our skills challenge day, where typically there is an elimination. There were a couple of weeks where there wasn't an elimination, but skills okay. challenge day is like elimination day. We usually, we're at the stables um, in the ring late morning. Mid morning, late morning, um, for the challenge. Um, we have a little break middle of the day and then we head back at night or if we're in danger of being eliminated, we head back that night. Um, and if you're eliminated, by the way, you go straight home, your bags are already packed. You do not go back to the house. You are driven to a hotel and you fly home the next day. So you're, when you leave that house with your bags packed, you really are leaving the house with your bags packed because if you go home, you're, you're literally going home. Um, So we were told to just hang out for a bit and not go down to the stables just yet because they were wait. We were told that we, they were waiting on a guest and we didn't know who that guest was. They definitely weren't going to tell us because they wanted us to be surprised when it happened. So we're just standing there like waiting for this skills challenge to begin and out walks the rock. So it's it's you know very exciting. I did my best to stay composed and not you know mark out, um, and I think I did. Like I, I st- there was a little bit of me was like, oh boy, here we go. Like like I wasn't giddy or anything, but you know that's the rock. Like you 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 mentioned before we went on the air that we were gonna maybe discuss uh, our Mount Rushmore of wrestling. When it comes to promos, the Rock is on there without without a doubt. So. But here's the thing the promo that I had in my head was not going to change because the rock was there. I would have cut the same promo had it not been, had the rock not been present. So, in my mind, as far as the promo, as far as the delivery, that wasn't going to change at all. In fact, in my head, I'm like, I think I've got a pretty good promo here. If I can make the rock pop for it, then maybe I have a chance of saving my skin because I had been on some pretty thin ice up to that point. I had had some rough days and I knew I was on the chopping block. So I was like, I got, I mean, I knew I had to make it good, but the promo that I had come up with didn't change at all because the rock was there. I think it just added, I don't even know that it added more pressure because I had the promo down cold. Like it, I don't think I could have done it any better than I did. I think if anything, it gave me hope that I was like, if anybody can say, that kid needs to stick around and have it mean enough that I actually would, it would have been the rock. But I also am not was not surprised that I went home that night, but I will always be immensely proud of that promo and that moment.
0: That might be up there with one of the best promos <laughs> I've heard, to be honest. Thank you. Like that that was an amazing promo. Uh, um fast forward a couple years, you and Dwayne. Um, meet again and
1: what is called That's the it. Rock the Promo competition So tell us a little bit know, about I that I follow The Rock on social media as much of the world does and uh, he was launching his YouTube channel and he was launching his YouTube channel with a project called Rock the Promo which was a weekly, episodic single elimination promo tournament that was going to be evaluated by legends in pro wrestling and so My, uh, the rounds that I competed in Well, actually, let me, well, yeah, I'll make this point and then I'll backtrack a little bit. So the rounds that I were, I competed in were judged by Kurt Angle, Christian, Cody Rhodes, Mick Foley, edge, and Dwayne Johnson himself in the finals. So pretty, pretty sweet group. Pretty sweet group of people judging my promo. And, uh, you know, ever since I was tough enough, I was like, huh, I'm pretty good at this promo thing. Maybe I should lean into contributing to pro wrestling a little bit more behind a microphone and a little bit less in the ring. Because I'm clearly more valuable behind a mic than I am in a ring. And I always thought I was, like, good in the ring. But I never thought I was great i never i never really if i I were to take an honest look at my in-ring acumen i could work with just about anybody but i didn't think my um i was never going to be like a Shawn michaels type or an eddie guerrero type and those were the two that i like really looked up to as far as like in-ring work um and so i was i started and also, like, after I got eliminated from Tough Enough, I'm like, if I don't get hired as a wrestler, then I need to make myself as multifaceted a talent as possible so that I could have a future in pro wrestling, even if it's not in the ring. And a future in pro wrestling outside of the ring has a lot more longevity than most careers inside the ring. So that was that was my thought process after Tough Enough. Um, but I was like, I think I'm pretty confident in my promo skills and I've been doing this character brosif Joe Brody at Hood Slam for a number of years to the point that it's pretty much second yeah. nature for me. So how about I cut a promo as Brosif and send it in and, you know, just just kind of see what happens. And so I did and the casting producers liked what they saw and they, you know, wanted me to participate in the tournament. And so... To make a long story a little bit shorter, um, I got nods from all the people that I mentioned a few minutes ago, and uh, those were all recorded promos, except for the one in front of Dwayne himself, which was in this little boxing gym in Vegas, uh, 60 seconds sharp, and again, I don't think I could have cut that promo any better, and I knew the second that I was done that I had killed it. I just knew it.
0: Wow, wow, wow. So you mentioned Brose of Joe Brody. Where did that character so, come about when uh, you did that idea?
1: The character is the um, product of coming up with the character, like kind of a fresh start, really. Because after Tough Enough uh, in the spring of 2011, I, I enjoyed you know, a nice little popularity boost on indie shows because I had been on WWF WWE television, but I was kind of creatively stifling (laughs) because when you're a performer, part of the fun of being a performer is being able to be somebody else or play a character or an extension of yourself, et cetera, et cetera. I was just myself on tough enough. And so on, on independent shows, I was just AJ Kirsch, which was, like, fine. Like, I, I like who I am, but it took the f- a lot of the fun out of performing because I couldn't be anything else. People were just coming to see me. And, and like, on the day of a show, I'm like, man, I'm myself, you know, 23 and a half hours of, the, of this day. Like, let me be somebody else for a half hour. Let me put on some gear and, and play fight in front of people for, for a half hour. And so... I was some of the advice that I got from Bill DeMott after the show, he was like, work as many places as you can get as much experience as you can. Um, And hood slam was uh, in the San Francisco Bay area, which, which is where I'm from and where I I was living then and I'm living now. And I asked the promoter if I could drop by and check out a show. And on a whim, they were like, Hey, you want to like hop on commentary? I was like, sure. I'll give it a shot. Why not? something i'd like to get good at and it went well and so i was invited back month after month and then it seemed like this was going to become a regular thing and just one of those shows that i I participated in uh regularly and i was like you know what if i'm going to stick around and be next to these characters like drugs bunny like uh, the Mexican werewolf El Chupacabra. Sp- like instead of New Jack, we had Pooh Jack, who's Winnie the Pooh. This gangster Winnie the Pooh. Instead of um, <laughs> Scott and Rick Steiner, we had Scott Rick and Rick Scott, the Stoner Brothers. Um. So we had, you know, <laughs> we had some weird characters. We had some some standout characters, and I'm like, if I'm gonna be here, I need to create an equally outrageous, over the top character, and so. You know, the old cliche, some of the best pro wrestling gimmicks are your, pro, your personality turned up to 11. So keeping that in mind, I took yeah. shreds of my own personality that I thought would make a compelling character. Like, for example, I was a bouncer in San Francisco and Sacramento for a number of years. So I was constantly around this like nightlife, um, just bravado, machismo, like everybody's trying to impress everybody else. Like I was around that culture a lot. I went to school at Chico State, as I said, which is a notorious party school. Uh, by the way, uh, Riley's and Chico, one of the one of the most famous bars in that town, just won College Bar of the Year from Barstool. So shout out to Chico and Riley's. Um, no I'm wish. a gym rat. Like I, I loved crazy. working out then, still love working out now. I work out seven days a week, and a lot of those workouts are lifting weights. And... The cherry on top is I shamelessly, unironically, loudly and proudly love Nickelback. And people don't believe me when I say it. They think it's a they think it's a joke or part of the gimmick. Uh, And it is not a joke. And it's part of the gimmick because it's part of me. I love Nickelback. And if you say you don't, uh, I'm going to call you a liar because everybody knows and likes at least one Nickelback song. Awesome. Awesome. Also. Oh, I'm a, a huge I might man, just so. take what you just said, just inspire <laughs> no to make a new brosive shirt, which I think is gonna say I am a nickelback guy. Um there it is. So yeah, there I you put go. those pieces together and I was like, you know what? I was also looking at the crowd that came to Hood Slam, which is not your typical wrestling crowd. They weren't the crowd that, you know, wears wrestling shirts or that um, you know, is gonna yell you effed up if you mess. Up a move or something. They're just people who mostly in their 20s and 30s who want to go out and drink and rage and have a good time on a Friday night. So if I showed up, they're not going to be like, oh, that's just AJ Kirsch dressed like a obnoxious douche. I could be bros of Joe Brody, and as far as they're <laughs> concerned, I'm Bros of Joe Brody. So Bros of was born and it gave me the kind of creative freedom that i needed at the time to fall back in love with pro wrestling
0: cool 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 so you mentioned that was the time you fell back in love with pro wrestling um it might have been either around that time or maybe before i might have my timeline off um i believe you showed up on an episode of smackdown and you went against Eric Rowan and Daniel Bryan,
1: uh, and I believe close. Heavy Machinery. Am I, am I correct? And I went up against... Um, it was going to okay. be Eric Rowan and um, Daniel Bryan. Heavy Machinery... It was going to be like a title unification right, match yep. because myself and my tag team partner, Dave Dutra, mm-hmm. um, who now performs as Battle King Dave Dutra, uh, we were the proud holders of the Yolo County Tag Team Championships. And so we were going to have ourselves a title unification match, and unfortunately, Heavy Machinery came out and took the place of Daniel Bryan and Eric Rowan and proceeded to uh, make short work of Mr. Dave Dutra and myself. Rude, by the way. Very rude. We're still waiting for our rematch, you cowards. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Oh, boy, you're calling him out right in the pod. Um, Anyway, before we get into the, the buzz, so to speak... Um, you spent some time in MLW, MLW. I'm a huge fan of it. I've been watching it for a couple years
1: now. Talk about yeah, your time well, in MLW came as about a commentator of just a cold email that I sent to, um, the, you know, their, their talent relations person. And I was just like, look here, I'm, I'm looking to, uh, um, yeah. work more in pro wrestling. I, I enjoy your product. I would love to call the action if you're, you're, deck ever shuffles then keep my info handy and and give me a call i sent them you know a resume and a reel and references and all the stuff that you would send if you're trying to hunt down a job like that and so uh that was in i want to say march of 2018 i think and then um okay it wasn't until Mm -hmm. september that they reached back out to me saying hey we've we've got something we'd love to work out a deal and we exchanged some emails back and forth, and within, um, you know, a week or so of, co- of striking a deal, I was uh, one half of the commentary team calling a, a show that they co-produced with The Crash in Tijuana, and then my proper MLW debut okay. was on their first ever pay-per-view, worldwide, live pay-per-view, Saturday Night Super Fight from Chicago, so really jumping in head first but i am very grateful for my time with mlw rich bocchini who is my broadcast partner did an amazing job of catching me up to speed about Mm -hmm. specifically calling wrestling for television and rich was with wwe for a while he he's done nxt takeovers and he's called smackdown so he knows his stuff and uh he made me feel like um he just very very warmly welcomed me to the team and uh, I learned a great deal from uh, MLW and Rich specifically calling wrestling for television.
0: Cool, cool. Yeah, you did do a great job. I, I, I remember watching some, well, a lot Thank of the matches that you actually called. You really did well, man. Um, so now we're getting into WWE 2K9. Do we have to? And 20. We'll talk about 20, I guess. That was.
1: No, nah, it was. Uh, well, we don't have me, to. That was a bit of a dumpster fire. Quick. There but, were a lot of things <laughs> that happened behind yeah. the scenes that I don't know enough about to specifically say what they were, but I like overheard some conversations that, you know, it they were, they were dealt a difficult hand in, in for two K 20. And like, you know, I, I, I kind of joke that WWE two K 20 was a foreshadowing of the actual year two K 20. But they, you know, it's the wrestling audience is such a demanding audience. And so are the video game audience. Any audience that's particularly passionate about something, they are also very demanding. And so it sucks because 2K can't disclose everything that happened that resulted in the subpar game that everybody got. Um, but, you know, as, as we just saw over WrestleMania weekend wwe 2k 22 has been announced it looks visually it looks awesome um there are going to be more details coming out about it you know at some point i mean it they are coming the game is coming so it's something to look out for but i think they did the right thing by taking an off year and rebuilding from the ground up i mean they, they released battlegrounds but like that barely counts um but i just mean that like be nice. Be yeah. nice to 2K, okay? They, they did the best with the hand they were dealt. And, I mean, if they mess it up this year, then there's, like, no forgiving them. But, but be nice. Like, they're doing their best. They're, they're capable of doing amazing things. We've seen it in the past. You know 2K20 would not have been as bad as it was unless a lot went wrong.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I've I've been a huge gamer in general, but one of the games I, I right. do play a lot of is 2K, especially wrestling games. So when I saw 20 at first, I was like, okay, I'm going to give it a chance. And all my friends who I play with are like, oh, no, this game's garbage. Right. This is all that. I'm like, just give it a chance. Give it a chance. Eventually, as it, as I got like more and more playing it, I'm like,
1: right, okay, right. Yeah. something must have went wrong. This game is pretty bad. And, like, you know, like, there's, I mean, <laughs> There's a whole laundry list yeah. of things. But, like, it, it it bothers me that a lot of these devoted wrestling fans aren't and video game fans, and, again, it's not specific to wrestling fans or video game fans, but it does bother me where they're just like, like, 2K19 was awesome. And so for 2K20 to be so not awesome, for them to not even have a moment of being like, okay, well, something clearly went wrong that was – beyond enough people's control that this is this mm-hmm. is the best they could do. And so it's like yeah, if I were looking forward to a game for an entire year and was disappointed, yes, that's disappointing. But like calm down people. <laughs> like be nice. Just because you buy something year after <laughs> year doesn't mean you can like I don't know. I don't think it gives people a permit permission to just be mean about it. Like 2K is aware. Like they know. They know. They're not done. It's not like, you know, and, and they're I'm sure they, they're under some type of obligation to just be like, okay, well, we did our best. Here you go. And they're like wincing as it happens. Like if they are if they're making a video game, they know. They know how good or how bad it is. Especially a, a team as seasoned mm-hmm. as 2K. Right.
0: Oh, yeah, for sure. 2K has been around forever. So something must have definitely right. went anyway, wrong in the code. Like, I don't know like if it was the coding or what it was. Like, you, you played the
1: 2K franchise. Happened. Thank you for playing. Uh, be nice. Just be nice. Yep. Uh, not as much as I used to. Now, are you like, a gamer? Do you play? The o- honestly, the only franchise that I continue to follow to this day is Legend of Zelda. Like, every other franchise, Halo, Madden, Call of Duty. Okay. Uh, like they've all fallen by the wayside, and I don't even have a switch right now. But when the next Legend of Zelda comes out, whether it's Switch or the next generation console, I will buy that console just to buy Legend of Zelda.
0: Yeah. Oh boy. Yes. Anyways, back to two K nineteen. Oh God, yeah. I mean, now, no I assume you play games as a kid, though, right? Time, like, when you as were much younger, as I, uh,
1: okay. you know, champion. The 2k franchise because i've been a part of it nothing will ever replace uh wwf no mercy on the nintendo 64
0: fair that's fair i'm, a I'm shut gonna your uh, mouth, right. I'm a shut Eat
1: your mouth guy i'm gonna shut your mouth guy but no
0: mercy was okay yeah yeah but <laughs> anyways what's like again what's going through your mind like how does this can't um, right. come so, about where you can uh, do also, mocap for a video enough, game. In the
1: uh, same vein of wanting to make myself as attractive a commodity to WWE as possible, I signed with a talent agency in the San Francisco Bay Area so that I could hunt down commercials or movies or TV shows or, you know, reality shows, what, whatever. I just I, I wanted to make, I wanted to show WWE that they could put me in any role and I would be able to deliver. So, One of the things my agency uh, seeks out are video game projects, because obviously there's a lot of tech in um, the San Francisco Bay Area. So I get an audition for a pro wrestling project with a working title that I'm not I'm pretty sure I'm not allowed to disclose, so I'm not gonna, but. It was, I thought it was a television program. I thought it was like a pro wrestling based TV show. And so I was like, oh, well, you know, this is kind of my jam. So I can at least bring a lot of real life experience to this role. Did the audition. Uh, I felt good about it. The woman running the camera who doesn't have any sway in the decision. They're just supposed to run the camera. They felt really good about it. So I felt good about it. But I've learned after doing auditions for so many years and doing tryouts for wrestling companies for so many years that you cannot get attached to how you think it went because it doesn't matter how you think it went. It matters how they think it went. So if I don't hear back after an audition for maybe three days, definitely five days, then I guess it's one of those, you know, just move on, let it go. Um there will be more. And, and, you know, that's where the phrase, don't call us. We'll call you comes from. Like if you do an audition, you don't call them back and be like, Hey, how'd I do? Like you, if they want you, they will call you. So a week goes by. And so I think, you know, they either find somebody else or they didn't like what I did or whatever. I get an email. Um, I'm driving in my driving somewhere. I don't even remember where, but um, I'm at a red light. So I, and I see, I have a fresh email And it's from someone at 2K saying, hey, we saw your audition. We loved it. And this working title is not actually, quote unquote, is not the working title. This is for the main character in my career mode of WWE 2K19. And we'd like to offer you the role. And I like freaked out in the driver's seat. I was like punching the air. I was just like, yeah, like, B- rolled out my windows and played acdc as loud as i could and was just like going out of my mind and this is another <laughs> one of those things where i like because i grew up playing video games like it for me it was like street fighter and mortal Kombat, and like super nintendo was my original jam and then you know it, it's like a lot like wrestling like the wrestling games started coming out so i played a lot of wrestling games and so to be not just like a part of that process but like the pro- it was coming from me it was it, the the inflection in my voice and the emotion it was coming from within me the process was mm-hmm. happening as I was creating the process and that again talking about it right now is one of those things that I just still can't believe it was a real thing it was a, it was uh, it was a dream gig to be able to do that and one that, away from a live performance aspect i don't know if i if that's if i'm ever gonna top it like i, I don't know I, i'm i'm good i'm i love a good challenge like i hope to find a game right. that tops it someday but growing up playing video games growing up a wrestling fan and then to voice the main character in wwe's franchise video game it's that's gonna be a hard act to follow
0: Cool, 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 man. Now, I have to do this. I'm sorry. I was listening to a podcast. I believe you were on the Edging Christian podcast a few years ago. You mentioned the specific time and mo-capping of the
1: game oh, yeah. where there was sure some was. strange leg injury. Sure was. So this was before oh, do you want was to talk about that? the audition for 2K19. Um, somebody who was on the 2K team who was a Hood Slam fan dm'd me and said hey like i'm i'm with 2k and we're starting to put together next year's video game would you like to come into the studio and record some bumping like so yeah so they would they brought me in and and uh, they didn't do oh boy put me up in the mocap suit this, they were actually just recording audio they were recording sounds of the ring hitting the ropes hitting the turnbuckles climbing the steps and then any level of 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 bumps from like a forward roll to like a superplex. So like, you know, just low stuff, low impact stuff to high impact stuff. We were going to go to lunch, but we wanted to get one more thing done. There's always just one more thing. We wanted to get one more thing done before lunch and we were doing sit out power bombs. So I was working with Mikey from the spirit squad and let's see. We, um, he gave me, He gave me one? Is that how it happened? Yeah, I think he gave me one. went great. And then we were going to switch and do one more before we went to lunch. And so I got him up, and he came up super smooth, super clean. But as soon as his weight landed on my shoulders, I just felt a pop in my left knee. Um, It wasn't particularly painful. I just felt a pop. And finished the move, landed safely, rolled out of the ring, and could barely put any weight on it whatsoever and you know and in my head I'm panicking because I'm like I thought that was my only shot to be in a WWE video game so I'm like oh my god like I'm hurt I can't continue I feel bad that now I have to like go to the hospital and get this checked out I feel bad that they're probably not going to invite me back because I got hurt like I just felt miserable and I did have to go to the hospital um the silver lining though of all of that was because i had signed um some paperwork earlier that day that technically made me an employee of 2k workers comp covered everything the the hospital visit the surgery that i needed because i oh, that's, that's always for my acl and my meniscus um so like yeah i mean if it if it had to happen then i'm glad it had oh and fun fact, I had a show that night, too, where I was hosting, ring announcing, and also in working toward a program to uh, have a match with this um, kid that I just, like, introduced to pro wrestling, and he started training, and now he's an amazing wrestler. His name's Steven Tresario. Uh, he's, he lives in Vegas. He's uh, he's awesome. And he was, like I said, he I just kind of, I don't know that I mentored him closely, but, like, I'm the one who directed him to all pro wrestling in Hayward before APW shut down. He then trained at Stoner U in Oakland, which is run by, as I said earlier, Rick Scott and Scott Rick, the Stoner brothers. And he's turned into an amazing wrestler. And he got good enough that I was like, you know what? I want to get in the ring with that kid. So he and I were like working toward this match that I had like a month later on a torn ACL and torn meniscus. Um, Really proud of that match, by the way. and proud of Steven Tresario for coming as far as he has. But anyway, I was like, you know, I did that cliche wrestler thing where I'm like, okay, like I'm all bandaged up. Great. I have a torn ACL. Can I go? Because I have a show in three hours and I need to get out of here. So it was uh, not a great, not a great day. <laughs> but it was definitely made me feel a whole hell of a lot better once I got that gig as Buzz in 2K19.
0: Oh, for sure. I mean, look what oh, came 100%. out of it. 100%. I, uh, even I the again, gig and everything. Uh, it was almost worse. Terry, as, as in a way. I would
1: have done it again. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. So, um, before we go here, we got about 10 minutes left. Um, whenever I have Let's a, do it. a pro wrestler or wrestling fan on, I have s- some fun questions I always ask them. Uh, first question I have for you. If you could pick one person, either past, present, or future, to be a ta- your tag team mm. partner. You and him become tag team champions.
1: I so have to why. say, Shawn Michaels, uh, because he's the guy that made me want to become a pro wrestler in the first place. Um, and I think just to, you know, he he was an amazing tag team wrestler um, back in back when he was uh, in the Rockers, and I don't know, I just. You know, for my money, there's never been any better to ever step step foot into the ring. He was the, the total package, with all due respect to Lex Luger. <laughs> okay, cool. Stunner. Um, uh, next question. For, Favorite performance. You did it. And two, DIY. it is the perfect finisher. It can come out of nowhere. Um, so you get that surprise factor you have the kick to the gut as a setup, so you can tease it throughout the match, and you can do it to anybody. And those those three things, the setup, you can do it to anybody, and it can come out of nowhere is, uh, for my money, it's the perfect combination. It's what makes a good finisher.
0: Okay. Mine well, would course. probably be the
1: RKO, because
0: essentially it could come from out of nowhere, no pun intended again. Um... <laughs> Um, next one is your favorite Ooh. match that either you participated in or watched as a kid.
1: The first one that comes to mind for matches that I participated in, and it's weird when people ask me this question, I usually go in chronological order of my career to my first, what I would call favorite match. Um, which was it, it was this weird moment where all the stars really aligned, it was my very first main event. Um, as a tag team, it was in All Pro Wrestling at a show in Bakersfield, California, where myself and my tag team partner Nate Rules, as a team called Ego, okay. uh, were in the main event against the New Age Outlaws. Um, we went over. Uh, I pinned Billy oh, Gunn, okay. and it was my birthday. It did that. That was that was the first. Moment in my wrestling career where nice. I was like, "If this is as high as it gets, I'm cool with that." Um, yeah, exactly, exactly. So that that one always Happy comes to mind for The Hall of Famer.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, hmm. now Mount Rushmore. Who's on your Mount Rushmore?
1: Overall. Okay, so we're going as a performer and not work. as. As far as everything. their contributions to wrestling, <laughs> Shawn Michaels, you can do a, a total package, Steve Austin, everything. Okay, Kurt Angle, hmm, okay, Eddie Guerrero.
0: Oh boy! Yeah, ours are somewhat similar. I have Austin and Kurt. That's the same, but I have Ric Flair in there, and I have Hulk Hogan. I mean, you mentioned those people; those four names. And right. Anybody right. And, walking and down the street so going, who doesn't even you, watch wrestling. When you knows said total package,
1: are. I was like, just because of taking into consideration in ring work, ability to wrestle, like you know, because like I, you know, yep. Hogan Promos. could wrestle like Hogan. Like, in Japan, Hogan would, like, chain wrestle in some of his matches, and I remember being like, oh, let him go! But, like, as far as work rate goes, and, like, the ability, like, wrestling, I don't think Hogan can touch Angle. I don't think he can touch Guerrero. Um, I agree, yeah. But if we're talking about, like, most influential, most recognizable, um, and also, like, I don't know, Ric Flair, his cardio was amazing. He had unbelievable charisma, but I kind of felt like it was a lot of the same match with Ric Flair a lot of mm-hmm. the time. Like, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like he had his okay. stick and it worked. Um, but I don't know the, I guess I, I also take into consideration the athleticism of Kurt Angle and Eddie Guerrero and not taking away from the athleticism of Ric Flair, because he had the best run of his career with a broken back or after a broken back. Like that's, that's amazing in its own right. But Maybe, maybe it's also mm-hmm. just my my preference of work. I like guys who who look and move like athletes. And Ric Flair always, to me, just kind of moved like a pro wrestler.
0: Okay. I, I will I will agree with that. I picked Flair basically off of his promos. I think he's top three greatest right. promos of all time. I mean, back in NWA, right. of course, there was – Okay, Island. who's on your – Like, on no one promo? can top that promo. Then. So, that's why I picked him. Yeah. Oh, boy. So, it'd be Flair.
1: He's on mine, too.
0: I think it would Ooh, be
1: Piper. The Rock and Cena. The Rock so and then Cena. were you, like, super excited when they started exchanging promos? Because those were some of the best back-and-forth promos ever, ever.
0: Hmm. Oh, definitely,
1: definitely. I was,
0: yeah. I was like a kid, like kid with goosebumps. I wasn't a kid at the time. I was eighteen, but yes. I, I went to that
1: mania actually, the second one where they wrestled each it's other. It's funny that AY. it was billed as uh, but, once in a lifetime. Yeah, it was extremely cool to see those two, it was like, especially kid- April Fools, because I'm pretty sure. I mean, I'm pretty yeah. sure that wasn't <laughs> April Fools' WrestleMania. So it was like, yeah, once yeah. in a lifetime. Ha <laughs> <laughs> got him. <laughs>
0: Yeah <laughs> yeah, man So AJ um, Thank you so much again for being on the pod um, Before we get off um, Let's plug Tough Talk again um, Cassouse, Like I said I mentioned I, I listened to the first episode With Martin Cassouse.
1: Yeah so um, All right, I got it right um, What's the comment to Tough Talk a Tell like, us more about uh, Conrad Thompson's podcast But that was in place Before WWE Network was sold To Peacock so there's this time frame between now and SummerSlam, which is at the end of August, that everything's going to make the move to Peacock. So Tough Enough isn't on there yet. So in the meantime, I'm interviewing as many people as I can in and around the show. That's contestants, trainers, production assistants, casting agents, the medic um, Friends of mine that were watching the show, other wrestlers that were watching the show, wrestlers that made it to the final round of casting but didn't make it to the actual show. And as a little teaser, I can tell you that somebody who wrestled on the card at WrestleMania this past weekend was among those people and it's looking like I'll be able to interview them. So I'm very excited about that. Okay, well, kayfabe brother, let's not give it away just yet. Um I, I, yeah, I it's available now anyway, cool. almost everywhere you get your podcasts, <laughs> but definitely right now on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Um, you can subscribe now by going to the Follow on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. It's all at the Talk Pod. And while you're at it, follow me on all the things. It's all at AJ Kirsch, which is Aj K I R S C H. Oh, and last thing. Um, you get full length bonus episodes, um, ad free and early episodes, exclusive pictures and videos from tough enough contestants. And I actually kept a journal while I was on the show and you'll uh, have access to that journal by going to patreoncom slash AJ Kirsch and signing up for the money talks tier.
0: Cool, cool, cool. And, again, I will plug all of that info in the description on both awesome. Facebook, on Twitter, and on Apple Podcast. AJ, it's been a great time. Thanks again so much for <laughs> doing this. Finally, after,
1: oh, boy, over right. a year the almost of trying right to set this up. This to happen now. Um, I, I appreciate you having me. We did. Me
0: Best of luck. What- yeah. <laughs> for sure. No problem, man. Thank you so much and best of luck with
1: especially Thanks, tough
0: you talk. Well. Um again I enjoyed it Bye. and everything going